Good morning, church. Thank God for the start of a brand new week. I hope uh, the previous week was good. You enjoyed the tender mercies of God. Well, it's not that uh, uh, I hope. Uh, I I know. Uh, and, and knowing is stronger than belief. I know that you all enjoyed the tender mercies of God because you are all here. And you can only be here by his mercy. Amen. So let's be grateful to God for that as we go into another week starting from today. So we want to be grateful to him. Uh, let's start off with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the effects of your word. Thank you for the power that your word has that can transform our minds, uh, change our course, and order our steps aright. We avail ourselves to you, O Lord, uh, to the potency of what your word will do this very hour, this day. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. As we all know, especially if you are in this church, last week we commemorated Pentecost, and uh, Pentecost, from our understanding, was the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. He was manifested in real time. You know, so he was no longer a prophecy. He became a reality that the disciples walked in, in that reality. And we, who are believers, are also walking in that reality. We shouldn't just talk about Pentecost, but we should experience it. It should be an experience. Amen. And when I'm talking about we should experience Pentecost, what I simply mean is that we should have a real and a lively relationship with the Holy Spirit. Many Christians today don't have that. They might have some sort of knowledge of the Holy Spirit, which kind of looks very abstract, uh, but they don't have a lively and a real relationship with the Holy Spirit. Even if you look at today's um, Christian context, one of the branches that is gaining a lot of prominence even among millennials and you know the youth is reformed Christianity. And thank God for reformed Christianity. Have nothing against it. Reformed Christianity, they just emphasize on the authority of scripture. And, and they will use certain theological words like the sufficiency of scripture. The sufficiency of scripture simply means that the scripture is enough. And it's true, if you're a believer, you should come to the place whereby the scripture should be the A to the Z of your life. It settles everything. It should be the finality. And that's true. They, they, they will use words like the inerrancy of scripture. And what they simply mean is that scripture is free of error. It has no error, right? So that's very important. If you, if you study the Bible carefully and you read it judiciously, one conclusion you will come to is that the Bible is free of error because every point in the Bible seems to connect. Every dot connects and paints the bigger picture of Christ who we are supposed to know as the real star of the the Bible or if you want to call it a book. The third thing that they normally say is that the Bible is infallible. As another theological word, that, that means that the Bible is, is not cooked, it's, it's free of fault, human error, and is free of being doctored. 
you know, in today's world, you know, and the TikTok and the viral video world, we can splice up a lot of videos and, and, and create a story and run with it. But that might not necessarily be true. The Bible is free of order. It's free of doctrine, you know. Uh, the, the Bible is raw and organic as it came. It was not really edited per se. And, and with that, it's able to speak and have the effect it does have. Amen. So thank God for all that. But we also have to come to a place that in as much as we emphasize about the written word, we should also emphasize about the voice, the force, and the inspiration behind the written word, who is called the Holy Spirit. Because without the Holy Spirit, we can't have the Bible. Are you understanding me? So, Christians, we have to come to a place whereby we should not see the Holy Spirit as a silent partner, as a cold person, as a very inactive person. But the Holy Spirit is very vibrant. And for this reason, Pentecost was made manifested to the disciples. And when the disciples were able to embrace the person of the Holy Spirit like they embraced the person of Jesus, Christianity took a different trajectory which has affected all of us and today we are all holding on to the faith because of the first century Christians who relied on the Holy Spirit. So based on today, I really want to talk about the Holy Spirit and I've titled this message, A Speaking Spirit. A Speaking Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not a quiet person. The Holy Spirit is not a dull person. The Holy Spirit is not inactive. He's very active, very present, and very real in our lives. But we have to conscientiously and make an effort to foster that relationship with him. That will help us to experience a real relationship with him. Amen. And in this year of knowing Christ, it is very important to relate with the Holy Spirit. Because if you are going to understand Christ... It's the Holy Spirit that is going to help you. It's the Holy Spirit that is going to reveal to you who Christ is. Amen. So certain truths about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is God. Right? Number one. Number two, the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. Number three, the Holy Spirit shares in the attributes of God. All right? So let me say it again. Three points. The Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit shares in the attributes of God. When we are talking about the Trinity, we are not talking about God existing in moods. We are talking about three coexistent eternal persons who are God. You understand? So we are not talking about three gods. We are talking about coexistent eternal persons of the Godhead. Amen. Uh, so, one thing we have to understand is that the Holy Spirit is more than a sensation. Many people have the knowledge of the Holy Spirit as a sensation. It's not a sensation, it's more than a sensation. Many people have been reduced the Holy Spirit to a chill bump. You know, some of these deep Christians, when they have a chill bump, they say that's the Holy Spirit. And that, that might be far from the truth. Some too have reduced the Holy Spirit to a feeling or an emotion. They will have to feel something and become very animated. And they will say, that's the Holy Spirit. It's more than that. And the Holy Spirit is more than a thing. The Holy Spirit is a being. The Holy Spirit is a person. 
The Holy Spirit is real. The Holy Spirit is not an it. I even see people using the word. The Holy Spirit came. It's, it's touched me. You know, the Holy Spirit is real. There's, all this makes us know that many people don't have a working experiential knowledge of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So how will you even identify with the right pronoun? Amen. So now let's go to our text for today. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 14. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 14. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Now, I want us to pay particular attention to one word that jumps at me in the text. It's called communion. This word communion should help us to understand that the Holy Spirit is very relational and very interactive. Now, this word communion comes from the Greek word koinonia. And out of this word koinonia has nine English words. I'm not going to give you all the nine English words. Out of the nine English words, it's three that I really want to major on. Out of that word communion is fellowship, communication, partnership. Fellowship, communication, partnership. So we can read it like this. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship, communication, and the partnership of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. So whenever the church gathers and when they say this, they created the awareness. And mind you, you know, English that we read as, as the language of the Bible, it's a secondary language. So understand that the Corinthians, when they, the Corinthians, when they were reciting this benediction, they will recite it in Greek. So when they recited this before they entered the service, it created that awareness that the Holy Spirit is very interactive. The Holy Spirit is relational. The Holy Spirit is interested in associating with us. The Holy Spirit is interested with forming a partnership with us. And we must all come to that level and that experience. Amen. So the Holy Spirit is very relational. He is sent forth to tell the mind of God and also talk to us about spiritual things. You can't understand spiritual things with this mind. You can go to the best Ivy League school. You still cannot understand spiritual things. You will need the Holy Spirit. And that's why it's important for us to foster association, fellowship, and partnership with the Holy Spirit. When we become believers, God is going to speak to us through the Holy Spirit. So when you don't understand who the Holy Spirit is as a person, when you don't understand his role, it will be very difficult for you to understand Christianity and develop that closeness with God. Many people who are dried out and, and who sense to wither out in the Christian faith, it's all like to not having a vibrant and an active relationship with the Holy Spirit. But I pray in the name of Jesus that that will change. Amen. When you read 2 Samuel chapter 3, a very interesting scripture. I would like you to read that chapter when you go home. It's about Samuel. He was, he was not a, a, a priest, right? He was not the son of a priest, but he was raised in the house of a priest. So Samuel goes to church. 
Summer and the Street Tabernacle Worship, the Menorah, the Holy of Holies, um, the, 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 the inner court, the, the, the outer court. Someone understood all these. But someone could not hear the voice of the Lord. When, when, when the voice of the Lord called him, for some time he, mistook, he mistook that voice for his father, who at that time was Eli. Eli was more like a surrogate father to Samuel. And then Eli, who was an experienced priest, says that when you hear the Lord calling you again, just say that, Lord, speak for your servant is hearing. This is the dilemma of the church. Sometimes we, have, we, we, we are dialing the wrong frequency and we are not hearing the voice of the Spirit. So in the spirit of this message, may the Lord also help us to hear him. Because sometimes being in church for a long time doesn't mean you are building a relationship with the Holy Spirit. This is Samuel. I'm sure if you ask him, Samuel, explain to me the menorah, the candlesticks, he could explain it well. Explain to me the showbread, he could explain it very well. What do we do on the brazen altar? He could explain the fans. I'm sure he could do it because he grew up into it, right? But this was a guy who was bereft of the voice of God, could not even um, interpret or understand what the voice of God was. He was trained. And in the spirit of this message, I believe that this message will train us and will help us to be able to develop a vibrant relationship with God, whereby we will see the Holy Spirit as a partner and not just as a doll and a dormant person. Amen. So my um, focus of this message now is to talk to you about communication channels of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So I want us to go through them real quick and then we'll be ending our service. So the Holy Spirit, number one, he speaks to, to us through the word of God. Go with me to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 to 17. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 to 17. Someone will say, how do you know that the Holy Spirit speaks? So just look at all these communication channels, become very sensitive, and you begin to foster a vibrant and an active relationship with the Holy Spirit. As a believer, this is the primary way by which the Holy Spirit will speak to us, the Word of God. And that's why it's always very important for you to read the Bible every day. Make it a habit. Don't just make it a habit of reading the Bible on Sunday when we meet and we say open the Bible or on Wednesday or maybe on special programs or conventions. Read the Bible every day at your own pace and read it on your own without anybody there. And if you believe in the Holy Spirit, he will be there to teach you all truth. Now look at it. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. You see? All scripture is given. This word inspiration also means breath. So the scripture is spirit-breathed. It's spirit-inspired. It's the breath of God. The author of the Bible that we are reading is the Holy Spirit. Yes, you might say Paul wrote Corinthians, but Paul wrote Corinthians through the agency of the Holy Spirit. 
You might say, oh, John wrote the book of John. Correct. But John wrote the book of John through the agency of the Holy Spirit. Right here in this scripture, we see the author of the Bible, the Holy Spirit. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, reproof. What's doctrine? Doctrine is teaching. Reproof, correction. Reproof is to tell you of the wrong. Correction is to bring remedy to the wrong. So correction and reproof, they go hand in hand. When you reprove, correct, and you can't correct without first reproof. Another word for reproof is rebuke. Amen. When I talk about rebuke, it just means to tell the person of the wrong he did. And then correction is remedying the wrong. Amen. You give, you give solutions. And sometimes we call it constructive criticism. You criticize, that means you talk about the fault. And then constructively, you now bring solutions to remedy the fault. Amen. Otherwise, if you, if, you, if you can't bring solutions, then don't criticize. Amen. All right. So for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. So right here, this is one of the ways by which God speaks to us. The main ways. The Bible. But that's not the only way. So the Holy Spirit speaks to us through the Word of God. So anytime you pick up the Word of God to read, you are interacting with the author. Just like when you pick a normal book, you are interacting with the author. A Daniel Steele book, a Stephen King book, a Christian author, whoever author that you may like. When you pick up his or her book, you are interacting with the author. When you pick up the Bible, you are interacting directly with the author who is the Holy Spirit. And the Bible lets us know that when we read the Bible, we avail ourselves to four facets, doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction of right, instruction in righteousness, that we will be complete. Complete here means we will mature, we will grow, and we will be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Amen. So the Holy Spirit speaks to us through the Bible. The second way by which the Holy Spirit speaks to us is through our inner witness. Now, what do I call inner witness? Inner witness just means your spirit. The Holy Spirit speaks to you by your spirit. Why? Because he dwells in your spirit. The Bible says that knowing you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit dwells here, so he will speak to us through here. Now, permit me to talk about four characteristics of the inner witness real quick number one your inner witness bears witness when you read romans chapter 8 verse 16 the bible says that the spirit himself bears witness with our spirits that we are children of god so your 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 inner witness or your spirit man your born again spirit it bears witness and bears witness means to testify and what does it testify? It testifies to the word of God. That's why. It attests to the truth. So the Holy Spirit bears witness with our spirits about what the Bible has said, that we are children of God. So our inner witness bears witness. So you have to pay attention to your inner witness. 
Because the Holy Spirit also speaks to you by our inner witness. If you are a Christian, if you are born again, pay attention to your inner witness. And when you sense the witness, always look for a scripture to back it. Because the scripture, the, the, the scripture will serve as the attestation by which your spirit will testify to. That it doesn't testify in a vacuum. It has to attestify to something, an authority, and it will attest to the word of God. The second thing about our spirit is that it has a conscience. It really has a conscience. When you read Romans chapter 9, verse 1, Apostle Paul once says something, my conscience bears witness in the Holy Spirit. You see, your conscience is what the world will call your moral compass. You see, for a Christian, we have something higher than our moral compass. It's called conscience. And our spirit man has conscience that can let us know what is right, what is wrong, and then what pleases God, what doesn't please God. The the earthly moral compass, it just knows what is good, what is wrong. What is socially acceptable, what is socially unacceptable. That's the world. The world's moral compass will let you know this is the norm. Why is it the norm? It's the norm because a group of people came together, have made it the rule, and it's become the normal. That's why it's called the norm. But when you, when you rely on the conscience in your spirit, it goes beyond moral compass. It tells you what pleases God and what displeases God. Worldly moral compass doesn't do that. It doesn't travel that far. It just travels at the periphery between what society considers norms and what they consider taboos. So our spirit man has a conscience. And as a believer, you have to learn how to rely on the conscience of your spirits. But you can't do that if you don't have effective fellowship and a vibrant relationship with the Holy Spirit. The third thing is that our born-again spirit or our inner witness perceives. It perceives. What do I mean by it perceives? Perceive here means discern. It is able to tell you something is not right. And, and how, how do you know that something is not right? Your peace is disturbed. That's how you perceive. That, that's why the Bible lets, tells us that we should allow peace to become the final empire. Colossians chapter 3, Amplified Version. Allow peace to become the final empire. Because you perceive by the presence of peace or the lack of peace. A typical example is in Acts chapter 27, verse 9 to 12. Paul set on a voyage. Everything looked good for the voyage. Perfect weather. I'm sure the ship was well tested before it went on the waters. I'm sure the pilot or, or the, the, the helmsman must be an experienced hand. But Paul, looking at all these indicators, said, Man, I perceive that this voyage will end in disaster. Do you know why Paul was able to say that? He was able to say that based on the presence of peace or the lack of peace. So our born-again spirit also perceives. 
And Apostle Paulus writes, even though the 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 centi- the the the, the Hemsman said that um, it, it, it is suitable. It is suitable to go on a voyage. The weather conditions were suitable. But Apostle Paul was not looking at weather forecasts. He was looking beyond the weather forecast. He wasn't even looking at Google search. He was looking beyond that. He was looking at a different GPS, God's perfect spirit. He looked at that and he said that something is going to happen. And of a truth, the voyage ended in disaster. So ladies and gentlemen, learn how to follow your born-again spirit. Let it lead you. Especially if you're a believer, you can't go wrong with that. The absence or the presence of peace is a strong indicator. So our born-again spirit or our inner witness bears witness. Number two, it has a conscience. Number three, it perceives or is able to discern. And then the fourth and final thing is that it is where the peace of God resides. So when the Bible talks about let the peace of God rule in your hearts, that's your born-again spirit. That's your inner witness. That is where it resides. Amen. So the Lord speaks to us through the word of God and he also speaks to us through our inner witness. And I've mentioned the four features. Amen. Let's move to number three. Go with me to 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 21. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 21. For prophecy never came by the will of man, but the holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. So have you realized that all the scriptures that we are reading, let's us know that the Holy Spirit is not a silent partner. The Holy Spirit is not docile or dormant. The Holy Spirit is very active, very real, and very present in the life of a believer. You see, these men of God, they were only able to prophesy not because they had mouths, not because they were oratorial, not because they felt like prophecy, but they were moved or they were inspired by the Holy Spirit. So this brings me to my third thing, men of God. So the Holy Spirit also speaks to us through men of God. That's why it's important to go to a good church. Very important. Because when you go to a good church, you will hear the Holy Spirit speaking through a man of God. Especially one that is yielded to his instructions and yielded to his directives. You are bound to hear the Holy Spirit. Personally, I have heard the Holy Spirit several times through preachers. Several times. And sometimes when I'm writing my notes, you know, I have notes that I will write for maybe Facebook or social media. I'm like, you know what, this is my notes. And then I have my personal notes. My personal notes, sometimes I talk about what I had behind the sermon. And that's the voice of the Holy Spirit. I will write those things down. And what I sense and what I feel the Holy Spirit is telling me through this message. That's a different thing. Many times. So personally, I like listening to preaching because I believe that preaching is one of the best avenues by which I get to expose myself to the Holy Spirit. I don't just listen to any preachers. I listen to real good preachers. 
Real good preachers like preachers we have in this house. They are very good. In case you don't know, don't wander very far. Here, I'm talking right here. We are very good preachers here. The Holy Spirit speaks through them. And I have some other ones who I listen to. Amen. So that's one of the best things. Having godly friends. A powerful thing. Sometimes you might be talking on phone and then your friend will say something like, Wow, this is the Holy Spirit speaking. Amen. So, men of God. Godly people. Have good friends. Have godly friends. It's the reason why most of my friends are godly. Because when I get to interact with them, now when I'm with them, I just like to keep quiet and listen. I hear God speaking to them. I hear the Holy Spirit. I, I can really relate this question like, wow, you are saying what you are saying because you are moved by the Holy Spirit. It's not because you know. Amen. So godly friends are a blessing. Men of God are a blessing. So attend a good church. Attend a good church. Amen. And when you happen to have a good pastor who is yielded to the voice of the Holy Spirit, be thankful. Amen. Because it's rare. Amen. So God uses the fivefold ministry as an extension of means of communication through the Holy Spirit to his saints. So like I said, the Holy Spirit is very active. The Holy Spirit is always speaking. Now you and I will have to down the frequency and tune in to make sure that we are hearing the voice of the Holy Spirit at all times. Amen. Now, I want us to look at one scripture where we will look at the last three and then we'll close for today. Joel chapter 2, verse 28. Joel chapter 2, verse 28. And I read, And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. I love this scripture. I'm grateful that the Holy Spirit has been poured out. You know one thing I like? It means it's, it's not measured. The Holy Spirit is not measured. He says, I'll pour out. The Holy Spirit is not measured. Upon all flesh. Without discrimination, no segregation. Young people, old men, sons and daughters, everybody receives their share. Everybody receives their portion. We live in a world where people are really segregated. There is ageism. Sometimes you see people fired not because you didn't do a good job. It's, you are just old. Ageism. Just go on retirement. They are just pushing you to go on retirement. Meanwhile, the 67-year-old or the 68-year-old man, he is just as good or even better than the 28-year-old. But you will be forced to be pushed out because of ageism. But thanks be to God that the Holy Spirit doesn't see age. He pours out his spirit on all flesh. Women. Thank God that women are included daughters, young women, and what do you call it? They will all see. It's poured out. It's poured out. Is that my, and even if you read the latter verses, my men servants and my maid servants, 
it's poured out. It's no discrimination. It has nothing to do with status here. All of us have access to the Holy Spirit. You have access to the Holy Spirit, not based on sex. You have access to the Holy Spirit, not based on age. You have access to the Holy Spirit, not based on color. You have access to the Holy Spirit because you are flesh. Thanks be to God for that. But pay particular attention. There are three communication channels that the Holy Spirit also uses. So this brings me to my fourth one, prophecy. And what's the meaning of prophecy? Prophecy means speaking under divine inspiration. So when I'm talking about prophecy, I'm not really delving into the office of a prophet because that is deeper. We're just talking about the simple gift of prophecy here. All of us here, listening to me at the sound of my voice, we can all prophesy because we can all speak under divine inspiration. That's the scripture we just read. You are moved or you are inspired by the Spirit of God to speak. That's prophecy. Now, let me give you a typical example. Acts chapter 2 verse 4. Acts chapter 2 verse 4. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. There's prophecy right here. How is that prophecy? Because they were moved by the Spirit. The Spirit gave them utterance. The Spirit inspired them to speak in tongues. So tongue speaking is prophecy. Because you are inspired or you are speaking what the Holy Spirit has given you utterance to speak. So prophecy and tongue speaking, very correlated and very interrelated. That's why when you read 1 Corinthians chapter 14, it, it kind of has a word play between tongues and then prophecy. And then it will just sandwich it with interpretation of tongues. Amen. So when the Spirit gives you utterance, when the Spirit moves you, when the Spirit inspires you, that is prophecy. That's how you know God is speaking. So you have to be able to open up your spirit and receive from the Holy Spirit. He speaks through prophecy. And the goal of prophecy, according to the New Testament, is to give edification, exhortation, and comfort. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 3. Amen. So that's to a local church assembly. That's not just what prophecy can do. It can do more than that. But in a local church assembly, and local church setting like this, whenever prophecy comes forth, it should exhort, it should edify, it should comfort. 1 Corinthians 14, 3. That's my scripture reference. Amen. So every... Christian, listening to me, can flow in the gift of prophecy. And when you flow in the gift of prophecy, it is the Holy Spirit inspiring you to say what you have to say. Not by your mind, but by inspiration. Amen. Let's look at the fifth one. Dreams. The Holy Spirit also speaks to us through dreams. And what are dreams? Dreams are pictures in the night when we are asleep. You know, if we see in our subconsciousness, it is said that there are three parts of our mind. There is the ID, there is the subconscious, and then there's the conscience. But when we are sleeping, our subconscious is working. It's through the subconscious that you see pictures in the night, you know, that's called a dream. You know, and one of the ways by which the Holy Spirit will speak to us is through a dream. Amen. But 
There are four sources of dreams. I wouldn't want to go into that. Let me just go into just one source. I just want to talk about the Holy Spirit. Amen. Because when you look at the Holy Spirit, um, Joseph and Daniel in the Old Testament, they were people who had dreams from the Holy Spirit. Uh, I would say that they had the gift of interpreting dreams because they were dreamers. Joseph in the Old Testament and then Daniel. Most of Daniel's encounters were in the form of dream. Amen. So that is very powerful. But in the New Testament, one person that the, the Holy Spirit spoke to through a dream was Joseph. I, I find this so funny. Old Testament, Joseph, God spoke to him through a dream. New Testament, Joseph, that is the father of Jesus. God also spoke to him through a dream. That is a communication channel of the Holy Spirit. For example, look at Jesus. Four instances Joseph dreamt. Matthew 1, verse 20 to 21. When Joseph had the name that you will call him Jesus, he shall be your son. He will come and save people from their sins. Do you know that Joseph didn't see the angel? It was a dream. Matthew 1, verse 20. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. So he was sleeping when he received this instruction. He didn't see the angel face to face. He was sleeping in a dream. It was in a dream that he knew his son was going to be called Jesus. It was in a dream that his son's job description was detailed to him. He will be called Jesus because he will be a savior and he will save people from their sins. Matthew 1, 20 to 21. That's the first recorded incident of Joseph having a dream. Look at the next time Joseph had a dream. When Herod decided that he was going to kill all babies because Jesus had been born. You know, he was looking for Jesus because he had had a prophecy that he was going to be the king. And, and Herod didn't want anybody to unseat him. So he, he made this ploy that I'm going to kill every, every child, every child. Uh, and, and when that was happening, Joseph decided to go to Egypt. He left Bethlehem. He left Israel, went to Egypt, North Africa. And why did he go to North Africa? Why did he go to Egypt? He went to Egypt because of a dream. The Holy Spirit spoke to him through a dream. And the Bible says that Matthew 2 verse 13. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. So he was dreaming. I'm sure Joseph really liked his sleep. Maybe that's why the Holy Spirit spoke to him in a dream. He said, arise, take the young child and his mother to Egypt. Stay there until I bring you word for Herod will seek the young child. To destroy so i'm sure joseph was asleep he just woke up he said mary the holy spirit has spoken we are going to egypt so that's a dream the third time that god spoke to joseph through a dream is in matthew chapter 2 verse 19 to 21 when herod was dead the angel of the lord appeared to joseph in a dream spoke to him and he said okay now the guy is dead you can come back to Bethlehem or Nazareth or wherever. And, and you see that in Matthew chapter 2, verse 19 to 21, that is six days later, 
They said, now Herod is dead. Arise, take the child, go to the land of Israel, you and the young child. So Joseph also had, okay, we are supposed to go back. Egypt is not our home. We are going back. How did he know? By a dream. And then the fourth time that the Holy Spirit spoke to Joseph again was in Matthew chapter 2, verse 22 to 23. He said, you know what? Go and live in Nazareth. Go and live in Nazareth. Joseph technically is not a Nazarite. Mary is not a Nazarite. They had to change locations because the Spirit of the Lord spoke to them in a dream. Matthew 2, verse 22 to 23. Now, when he heard that Achilles was reigning over Judea instead of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being won by God in a dream, he turned aside into the region of Galilee. He came and dwelt in a city called Nazareth, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophets, he shall be called a Nazarene. Amen. So, through a dream again, he had, and he took action straight away. Amen. So, he received a warning by God in a dream. Changed course. Changed his location. He went to live in Nazareth. But what he didn't know is that scripture was being fulfilled, that Jesus will be called and as I write, amen. So you see, four instances, the Holy Spirit spoke to Joseph in a dream. He spoke to Joseph in a dream to preserve the baby, spoke to Joseph in a dream to tell him that you are going to give birth to this child, he's going to be called this name, this is going to be his job. Spoke to him in a dream again to say that, okay, now it's time to move from Egypt. It's over, go back home. Spoke to him in a dream again and he said that, you know what, change course. You are not going to live where you live. Live in a different place. Amen. So dreams are some of the most powerful communication channels through which the Holy Spirit speaks to us. So from today, respect your dreams. Amen. Amen. So it's important to know how the Holy Spirit speaks because when the Holy Spirit speaks, it will also confirm with Scripture. That's why I spoke about the main communication channel. I don't want to talk about the other three channels because it will divert my message. But if you can understand that the Holy Spirit speaks through dreams, I think I have made my point clear. Amen. The last channel that we are looking at is vision. So let's look at our five. The Holy Spirit speaks to us by the word of God. The Holy Spirit speaks to us by our born-again spirit or our inner witness. The Holy Spirit speaks to us through a man of God. The Holy Spirit speaks to us through prophecy. The Holy Spirit speaks to us through a dream. And now I'm ending. The Holy Spirit speaks to us through a vision. Amen. Now, what is a vision? A vision is what I call the theater of the Spirit. Sometimes it's like watching a 3D movie. But when you are watching, but this movie, when you are watching, you are not watching it with your natural eyes. Sometimes, most times, you watch it with the eyes of your spirit. 
Sometimes you can also watch things of the spirit with your natural eye. That's called open vision. Okay, that's a different type of vision. Pastor Robert took us through the book of Revelation, the first quarter. Most of the instances and most of the chapters that we went through were a result of an open vision by John. Okay, so he wasn't just seeing some of these spiritual things with his spiritual eyes, but he was seeing that with his natural eyes. You see, you can't see it. You will be there, you can't see, but he can see it. He's just looking at it. It's a different kind of vision. There are three kinds of vision, by the way. There's the spiritual vision. That is the one that you see with the eyes of your spirit, not with this natural eye. And then there is the open vision. The open vision is what you will see with this biological eye, which nobody around you can see. And then there is another one called a trance. A trance is when sometimes you, 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 you might... Um, how do I even explain this thing? So sometimes a trance, you really have to experience it for you to understand it. So sometimes when it happens, you are not unconscious, but you are very conscious of the spirit world around you. It's more like you are asleep. You you are not conscious. You are not con you are not unconscious, but you are very conscious of the spirit world around you. It's where you are not aware of anything that contacts the physical realm. When you are in a trance, you are not really aware of anything that contacts the spirit realm. That's why I say that you are not unconscious, but you are also very much aware of the spirit world around you. It's when your, your physical senses are suspended for a moment. That's what is called a trance. It's all these things. It's when you experience it and when you come out of it, you'll be like, whoa, this is not a dream. There's a trance. And in scriptures, there are about two instances where you will see people who went into a trance. They, they didn't have a dream or they didn't have a vision, but they had a trance. Okay, so there are three. So when you are talking about vision, I'll talk about the spiritual vision that is, you don't see with these eyes, you see with the eyes of your spirit. There is the trance where your, your physical senses are suspended, right, for the moment. You, are, you, you don't have contact of this physical realm. You are very much alive in the realm of the spirit. And then the third one is the open vision. The open vision is with this biological eye, you can see things that people around you cannot see. Amen. You don't even have to close your eyes. It's so real that you can see things of the spirit. Like John the Beloved. That's how he wrote the book of Revelation. Amen. So let me give you a scripture for each of them. So when we are talking about a vision, a typical example is Acts chapter 9. You know, there was um, a man called uh, Ananias. He was the one that went to pray for Saul. When Saul was hit with blindness, and Saul was the one who later became Paul the apostle. God appeared to him in a vision. He said, go and pray for this man. I'm going to use him. And when he obeyed and when he did that, Saul became poor. He was blind for a moment. He prayed for him. He got healed. That, that was a vision. The Lord appeared to him in a vision. Acts chapter 9, verse 10 to 13. Now, let me read the trance. 
Acts 10, verse 10 to 11. Acts 10, verse 10 to 11. Then he became very hungry, wanted to eat, but while they made ready, he fell into a trance, saw heaven opened and an object like a gray sheet bound at the four corners, descending and led down to the earth. So Peter, the only reason why he preached to a Gentile, that was Cornelius, was because he had a trance. And a trance, like I said, is when your physical senses are suspended for a moment. You know, when, when you are asleep, your physical senses are not really suspended. That's the difference between a dream and a trance. But if a trance, your physical um, uh, senses are suspended. You almost look like you are dead, but you are not. Sometimes you are in contact with the realm of the spirit. This was what convinced Peter, and when he woke up from the trance... He went to preach to Cornelius. And because of Cornelius, the gospel now became open to the Gentile that now all of us who are non-Jews can receive it. Amen. So this is it. So the Holy Spirit speaks to us through the word of God. The Holy Spirit speaks to us through our born-again spirits. I mentioned the four characteristics. The Holy Spirit speaks to us through a man of God. He speaks to us through prophecy dreams, and visions. Amen. So I advise you to listen to this message over and over again. Build your thirst for a relationship with the Holy Spirit. Ladies and gentlemen, if there is anything I want you to take home, is I want you to see the Holy Spirit as a being than a thing. So if you are a Christian today, thank God for the Holy Spirit. He's the greatest gift to the body of Christ. But if you are not a Christian, I will invite you to accept Christ first because you can't receive the Holy Spirit without first and foremost receiving Christ as your Lord and personal Savior. Amen. Let's pray. I want to pray for anybody who is listening who has not received Christ. Say, Lord Jesus, I invite you into my life. Come into my heart, Lord, as my Savior. I confess you as Lord. Lord, I ask you to forgive me of my sins and wash me by your blood. I thank you that I am justified. And because of this, I am the temple of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. If you pray this prayer, you are saved. You have received the Holy Spirit. Now, build your faith man and your spirit man by fellowshipping with the Holy Spirit. And one of the practical ways by which you can do that is just to worship the Lord. The Bible says in Psalm 22 verse 3, he inhabits the praises of his people. One of the ways you, you, you cultivate the presence or you build that relationship is to worship him. Amen. Thank you, Lord, for your word. May we build a vibrant relationship with you, O Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.